Securities offered through Securities America, Inc. Member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Investors Advantage and the Securities America companies are separate entities. The opinions and forecasts expressed are those of the author, may not actually come to pass, and should not be construed as a recommendation of any security or investment plan. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Welcome this beautiful afternoon. I was getting ready for some rain. I guess we're going to enjoy some rain. I like the rain in Southern California. Uh, this is John Grace and Daniel Medina here on Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. Delighted you could spend some time with us this afternoon. It's uh, back, Daniel, to another wild and woolly Wednesday. It seems like we started with the uh, capital unrest on the 6th, and every Wednesday it's been just kind of nuts. And today it looks kind of nuts as far as the market is concerned because uh, it's, it's really looking like, uh, you know, we're going to talk about what's going on, but we also want to see what's around the corner and most importantly to help people make sure that they're prepared for what's next. Okay. That's the whole point. What's next. You don't need to know what's next to prepare for what's next. And that's so important. One of my, this is one of my favorite lines. It's not about the prediction. It's all about the preparation. I mean, if you, if you live in Southern Cal, for example, and we all know that the 6.7, the 7.6 is coming and the major earthquake, right? But if you're ready for it, you'll probably survive it, which means you'll be able to tell your story. If you're not ready for it, well, I'm afraid that we'll be, you'll be in the news and we'll be talking about you as opposed to talking with you. We certainly want you to be able to tell your own story about how you survived the big one, uh, whatever the big one becomes our reality, whether it's the big one as far as the earth is concerned or the big one as far as the market is concerned. So. Uh, we'll talk about those kinds of things. Uh, we've, we've got a, three of the things that we want to make sure we cover is to look at what's going on with so many Americans who just don't seem through in retirement that they can meet their basic needs. Uh, and then we'll look at uh, how stock markets perform under uh, presidents. And, and in fact, we'll be looking at, uh, you know, Donald John Trump, past former president, who made uh, a human cry about, look at what the stock market is doing. You know, he, he wanted to take full credit for it. So we're just going to go back and look to see when you live by the sword, you die by the sword. How did the Donald do compared to his predecessors? But first, let's look at what's going on in the market today. Uh, as, as we do every time, uh, we'll start with uh, what's going on uh, on a daily basis in terms of what's happening for the year. And right now, this is a pretty dramatic day for the market to the negative. When the Dow's off about 1.99% uh, today, that's not a good day. That's a bad day. And in fact, uh, that negative is so strong. I mean, we're only in, what, uh, 10 or 12 trading days or so. Uh, maybe, well, more than that. But the point is, is that now we're in negative territory as far as the Dow is concerned for the year at being off 1.4%. Now let's look at the S&P 500 because that's a better barometer of what's going on in the stock market. And we see that it's also off pretty dramatically today, about 2.5%, uh, off 95 points. 
And uh, the year-to-date return is uh, just barely in positive territory. It's at 0.85. That's less than 1% for the year. Again, this is the beginning of the year, so that's not really uh, a strong indicator, but it may be a sign of what's around the corner. NASDAQ, way off, off 2.38% to the negative 324 325 points, uh, down to 13,299. So and the year-to-date, though, is up uh, 4.32. So that's certainly a, a good number. So what's going on? It, it would appear as though the stocks uh, certainly opened to the negative today, and uh, they have stayed negative and in, in, in pretty seriously negative uh, throughout the day, uh, even through Fed Chairman Jer- uh, Jer- Jeremy Powell, Jerome Powell, uh, talking about uh, the Fed in the Federal Open Market Committee, uh, January Monetary Policy. And uh, this is looking at the latest batch of corporate earnings results. Uh, so it's interesting that the Federal Reserve changed their language. And we're always looking for what the words chosen might be, because sometimes they, they tell more than maybe one might recognize at first blush. So here's the, 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 the information that we're looking at. This is a quote uh, from Chairman Powell that the pace of the recovery in economic activity and employment has moderated in recent months. Now, this language was, is updated from the December statement by the Fed, which simply said that the economic activity and employment were still, quote, well below their levels, quote, from the start of 2020. So notice they're becoming a little more definitive. So as expected, the central bank kept benchmark interest rates unchanged at their near zero level and recommitted to leaving rates untouched until labor market conditions and inflation trends achieved the Fed's target. The Fed also said it would continue its crisis era asset purchase program at the current rate of $120 billion per month. But looking from the all-time high perspective, the S&P is trailing trading about uh, 1.5% from its all-time high, the Dow about 1% from its all-time high, and even the, the NASDAQ uh, has dipped as some of the highly, heavily weighted uh, tech stocks pushed, pushed higher. So we have, a last year we called 2020 a, a bull market for stocks and a bear market for humans. <laughs> so far this year, we're continuing where the, the stock market is clearly separated if not divorced from Wall Street and Main Street. And um, certainly it has been divorced from looking at the, 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 or really regarding the fundamentals. Those fundamentals might be coming back into the equation as we, as we look at things now, because uh, maybe, maybe the, um, the, the vaccines don't get distributed or there's a snag in their uh, development, their construction. What has been happening so far is we've all been getting high off the good news of uh, the vaccine is here. Uh, certainly, the the cavalry is 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 here. Everybody can give a sigh of relief, and that might be a little premature, particularly since um, up until now, and when it comes to these United States of America, the good news is the vaccine's here. The cavalry is showing up, but with when the cavalry has no ammunition, or when they have uh, the guns, but no bullets for those guns, they're, they're not very useful. In fact, they're pretty useless. And that's what it seems like uh, we've been dealing with in, on this side of the pond in terms of, yay, we have, a vac- we have a vaccine, but boo, we're not getting the vaccinations out as we should. And uh, the third part of that equation is the minority women and uh, men 
are seeming to taking it on the, on the chin. Uh, the, the number of vaccinations is uh, disproportionately lower. And of course, the number of uh, cases and deaths for minorities and women are disproportionately higher. So we've got some work to do. And, and by my, my numbers, Daniel, uh, I think where we were in 2020, we were at the rate that we were going, it was aspirational to talk about the number we wanted to hit, but there was real, no really no real plan from what I could tell to achieve some of those numbers. But the, the pace we were on, it looked to me like we might get uh, satisfaction in terms of getting the, the actual vaccine in people's bodies to the tune of 330 million people. It was going to take about eight years. <laughs> and even when we ramped up the number to a million uh, vaccinations a day, uh, by my calculation, that looks like that might take us into 2022. So I, I, I think I'm glad to see us step up. I'm glad to see us get more supplies. Uh, apparently, it's not the uh, personnel that's a problem, but uh, we probably need to be north of 3 million vaccinations a day if it is the case that we can uh, knock this ball out of the park and play another game uh, within the next 12 months. Well, what's your read, Daniel? I think you're right. I think that the, certainly the speed at which people are getting vaccines has not been where it needs to be. And it's going to be challenging to get to that to that level. At some point, herd immunity does take over and that and that that helps. So we don't all have to be vaccinated. Um, but certainly, I mean, the people that are that are that are most at risk should be getting it first. From a market standpoint, I think as long as the, the government and the Fed start willing to put all the money that they, they have been willing to at the problem, uh, it'll, it'll, it'll continue to hold. Well, I mean, I was looking, I don't remember the name of the country, but I don't think that's really what's important. What was important is my takeaway was that the country had a system by which you could go to a website that would accommodate everyone in the country and set up your appointment this is supposed to be the most advanced uh, civilization in history, and yet people who were well um, disposed, you know, they're, they're, for a host of reasons they should be at the, at the front of the line, can't make an appointment. In, in some states, like I think West Virginia, it's pretty good. In most, like California, it's pretty poor so far. So you have people ready to, take the, uh, to receive the vaccine, and yet the systems aren't built to allow them to make an appointment, which only adds to the frustration. And it certainly it makes you wonder, is the darn va- uh, uh, pandemic going to get me before I get the darn vaccine? <laughs> so, yeah, go ahead. Like, like so many of our of our systems here in the United States, we're just it, they're just bad. I mean, there's no centralized system for getting the vaccines out to people. And my understanding is the Biden administration is planning to get something out in the next couple of weeks, which would be great, at least from a uniformity standpoint, getting getting vaccines out to people that need it. But right now, there's just, every state's just kind of doing what they're doing, and and there's no coherent um, message or or way to do it. Yeah, and when we look at other countries, uh, um, Israel, for example, um, most of many of the Far East countries have done better than the Western countries from the standpoint of having a a plan of attack. I mean, I've shared with my friends, I think my Boy Scout troop would have done a better job of getting this vaccine distributed than we've been doing so far. And and we're, we've been at it for, gee, really, honestly, been aware of this for a year. <laughs> that you, you, uh, It's hard to not make any progress as we're waving the American exceptionalism flag 
right? Like we're always really good at everything. And truth is we're not, this is evidence of that. Uh, so maybe we can kind of get our act together and, and get on the ball. Uh, right now, it looks like we, we have the ball in sight. Maybe we can get on it. Other countries seem to uh, be ahead of the ball and have been responding in such a way where they have read what they thought was the appropriate response. And, 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 and for one example, if we had uh, done some of these hardline measures in the areas where it might have been needed the most, some suggest that we would be we would have 84 84% less deaths so far and many of these deaths have occurred since the election which is which is just it, it, I, I think it's a travesty uh, it, it, it certainly makes you not feel so great about uh, watching people die when it seems to be in many cases uh, so unnecessary okay well speaking of unnecessary it's unnecessary for uh, so many of Americans to uh, not meet their basic needs in retirement. And Daniel, I've been looking at some material uh, from places like MarketWatch that says, you know, tackling the retirement crisis would not only be a big win for the Biden administration, it would be a big win for all Americans. So as we look at unemployment, uh, and he's got to deal with widespread social unrest from every corner in a politically polarized nation, uh, and uh, certainly a politically uh, polarized uh, uh, of his peers or the Congress and the Senate and the House. He's got his work cut out for him. There's, there's no doubt about that. But uh, the burden of preparing for retirement, it, it seems to keep getting more and more difficult for middle class workers. We have to deal with housing, health care, long term care costs, all rising faster than wages and salaries. And that's been happening for some time now. So when people say, oh, we've got, uh, you know, the average household income is 68,000, I first have to ask you, where could you live on 68,000 with two or four people in the household and it'd be a good life? I, I don't know of any place in these United States of America. There are not many places, that's for sure. And yet um, many folks are worried about their financial security as they age because we've done little or no preparation. In fact, three-fourths of Americans say the nation faces a retirement crisis and that includes 80% of Democrats and lo and behold, 75% of Republicans and independents. This may be the only subject that uh, the two uh, parties, uh, Democrats and Republicans, get close to real agreement on. <laughs> uh, it's kind of fascinating. So what do you see here, Daniel? Uh, I think this is it's a huge problem and it's only getting worse and worse. And one of the things... One of the things that particularly COVID has not helped with is people in their 60s that may have lost a job, they, they could have started Social Security earlier than they would have planned, or people that, that, that were planning to work to their 70s may have been forced to retire early. It's going to get more and more challenging as the nation gets older, because people just have not, most people have just have not done what they've needed to do to actually be able to stop working. And at some point you, you, you have to stop working. And usually it's not because you want to, it's a lot of times it's because, because of health conditions. This, this is so true. People establish an age and, and maybe the health conditions that sh suddenly show up are not necessarily yours. There's someone in your family uh, that's having a, a challenge and you have to stop working or work less to help them. And then we see looking at uh, millennials or younger workers, they've, they've lived through one major recession and typically they're, they're starting to save later, uh, particularly if they've lost a job. And when we lose jobs, that means we're not contributing to social security. 
And of course, delaying savings significantly reduces the total amount of savings a worker may accumulate by retirement age. So the U.S. is indeed on a path to what uh, looks to be a very predictable and unfortunate outcome with millions of working Americans completely unable to meet their basic needs in retirement. And, and that forecast is especially grim for our older Americans and, and families who have to step in to provide financial support and then go on strained social services and state and local governments. And, and you, you got to know part of this equation is taxes have got to go up. <laughs> So, and then we've got uh, uh, long-term care costs that have to be uh, addressed. But I think we're going to go for a quick break um, and come right back. What instructions do you have, Daniel? You can find us on Facebook under Investors Advantage. We're at Twitter on Money on Course. Our website is www.ybpoor.com. You can reach us by email at contact at ybpoor or in the office at 805-495-2077. Great. So we'll pick up where we left off and we'll look at the difference between portfolio management and financial planning. Some of these terms are kind of arcane, so we're going to break them down and keep it simple, sweetheart. And then, as we say, we'll look at the results, not just the hyperbole of the stock market relative to former former presidents of the United States. We'll be right back. Please stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. John Grace and Daniel Medina here at Fiscal Fitness on Voice America. So glad you could spend some time with us this afternoon as we are on another wild and woolly Wednesday. We're talking right now about uh, the, the, the situation for so many of us in terms of we spent a lifetime working and paying the bills, and it looks like there's going to be some real hard times for a whole bunch of us through retirement, which is really unfortunate. We do see some good signs, and I want uh, to talk about uh, the, some of the things you're seeing in Washington, Daniel, and how we might be able to create stronger retirement tax provisions. But first, let me say real quick, folks, that we have uh, a great book, my book, Making Finance Make Sense. And if you'd like a copy, they are available at Amazon and on eBay. They're only like $15, $16 a copy for the paperback. So you know I won't be getting rich off of this book. And and they're available in the Kindle version at uh, Amazon for all of, guess what, 99 cents. What can you do with 99 cents anymore? So it's a great gift. And, and it's written within about 100 pages just to make it very simple for people to feel like I can get a grasp on this with this thing, this, this retirement process. We, we spend more time and, and we certainly have more excitement about planning for weddings and, and taking vacations. And I'm sure we'll all be looking forward to that. But it, it does make sense, particularly in this time where we kind of need to spend or we're going to have to spend more time at home studying our navels and maybe watching a little less TV and looking at our future and putting our financial plan in order. And on that note, one of the things that, that, that we are doing here at Investors Advantage is a way of saying thank you so much to the frontline workers who put their lives on the line every single day, do not have the luxury of being able to work from home, have to show up we're providing free financial planning services to all essential workers. So in about 90 minutes, we'll help these folks put together a plan and the retail value for that nationally is about $2,000. So we'll sit down for 90 minutes and go through how much money you're gonna to need to make work optional. We want you to see the target so that you can arrive on time safely so that it, whether it's 62 or 75, whatever it might be, how much money are you gonna need behind door number one to last another 20, 30 years. The second part of the puzzle is, heaven forbid, there is a loss of a breadwinner. And whether they're married or not, clearly you have typically a lot of people and certainly a whole lot of stuff that you're keeping um, floating in the air between the four hands. But then when a pair of hands goes to heaven, the, 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 the hands left are really going to have a tough time keeping things afloat financially, in, in some cases, certainly emotionally. But at least we can answer and address how much money the survivor is going to need in their purview so that they can see, all right, if I'm used to $40,000 and I put a million dollars worth of life insurance on my partner, my significant other, my wife, my husband, whoever that might be, now I know I present that check, put it to work to get six or 7% as a return, but withdraw at 4%, that's $40,000 out. I, I, I might miss that person, but I won't miss their money. That's, that's the whole point. So let's get back to this whole notion of preparation. And that's, that's why we do this show, because we can see that there's so much good work that can be done, but people have to be willing. What, what are you seeing in terms of uh, Kaiser Foundation, Daniel, what, 91 thousand older Americans have died in nursing homes or other uh, long-term care facilities due to the coronavirus. So this is getting, long-term care is getting a renewed focus. So what do you think that focus looks like in terms of the future? Well, certainly the, the cost is the, the biggest concern. It's, it's so expensive to pay for long-term care 
um, any kind of care really nowadays. But it's so it becomes so expensive. I mean, end of life costs can 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 be anywhere can be up to a half million dollars for individuals. And I think the average, if I remember correctly, is about a quarter million dollars. So it's it's extremely expensive. So to the extent the administration can do something to help address those costs, maybe levelize it or normalize it, then that that would be a big help because that's such a big wild card for most people. And most people just haven't put in any real thought to it. Well, thankfully, we're seeing uh, Washington State, for example, with an innovative social insurance program. They're launching next year, 2022, where Washington residents will pay 58 cents of every $100 into a long-term care trust fund. And after 10 years, residents can claim up to $100 a day in benefits with a lifetime cap of $36,500. Now, that might seem small, that lifetime cap of 36500 but it could go a long way for the many older Americans with more manageable long-term care needs. And of course, it's kind of like your social security check. It's not enough, but you'll take every dime. And, and Washington State does expect to reduce Medicaid costs by implementing this program. So maybe other states will follow this good example. And certainly it is a, it is a good example and alleviate some of this pressure. What about uh, retirement tax provisions? Uh, it's that's a that's a tough one because that that requires a lot of tax reform. But right now, the current structure, the highly compensated or the the ones that earn more have a lot more incentive for saving for taxes. If you're lower middle middle income, your your incentive just isn't really there because you don't really have the tax problems. If you're not earning as much, you're not paying as much in taxes. If you're already getting a refund every year, what incentive do you have really to put money away from from a tax perspective at least? What incentive do you really have to put money away? There's not much. No, there's uh, really, in this country, we don't give you any credit for saving money. We want you to spend, baby, spend. We want to talk about how strong the economy is. But let's recognize that's the nation's economy. The question is, how strong is your economy? And if all you're doing is uh, uh, spending every dime, uh, it's, it's the case that you're not preparing for the time where your work will become optional for you or work will just go away. And most of us have little or no resources to maintain our lifestyle. And, and unfortunately, folks, we all know now it's 100% on us. Uh, so hopefully there will be some, some, some changes that will be made. But this is a top priority that we have to make for ourselves to recognize uh, if it's up to, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And I'm the one who's responsible for making sure I, I can make work optional, and hopefully I can do it on, on my time frame as opposed to it being imposed upon me. So hopefully the states will kick in. We'll have some more encouragement for lower income people to set aside funds. But at the end of the day, let's just be clear, as opposed to waiting for that Calvary, please start with your very next paycheck, whatever the amount might be. Make it 50 bucks, make it 10%, make it 15%, but start putting yourself as number one, I love America first, kind of, but you're first, that's most important, so that uh, you know that you are putting some money behind the door where you can go to that door and receive an income from that account for the rest of your life, because at some point, that's what's just going to happen. All right, so speaking of how to manage the money and what's going on in these markets, Daniel, let's talk about uh, portfolio management and, and, and financial planning. Why are those terms not really understandable? I love this topic, actually, because 
a lot of times, so many people think that financial planning, all it really is, is telling you where to put the money. And a lot of times, that's the first question people ask. Where should I be putting my money? What stock should I be investing in? Or what's the best mutual fund to put, put your money in? And it's really, it's really just not that simple. There's a big distinction between portfolio management or money management in financial planning. So let's start by, by defining the two. First part is money management or portfolio management. What that really means is how are you managing your investments? And there's a lot of different ways to do this, a lot of different philosophies. And what people should be doing is really the first question is what's your risk tolerance and how much risk are you willing to take? That's going to dictate what kind of portfolio you have. And are you buying individual stocks or mutual funds or exchange traded funds? That's going to determine where you go first. Now, portfolio management really is who's managing the portfolio. For a lot of advisors, there's kind of there's a there's a couple of different schools of thought. Um, some some do it themselves. Some are are stock pickers and they pick their individual bonds and their individual stocks, and that's what they do for their clients. Some pick uh, mutual funds or exchange traded funds, and they there's a there, there's a, now a third party involved that's actually doing the money management, like a Vanguard or an American funds that's doing the day to day management inside the fund. The other, the other school of thought is um, hiring a third party, um, not a mutual fund company or an exchange traded fund to do the management on a more personal level. That's the way we do it. Well, it, it, it speak more about, you say, risk assessment. Well, that's a four-letter word most of us don't recognize. And frankly, the truth is we often take, as Americans, complicated combinations of things and look for very simple answers as though it's one size fits all. When you when you talk about risk, I think most of us go to, okay, so, that, so what you're asking me is, am I conservative, moderate, or aggressive? And, and I think most of us would say, well, I'm, I'm conservative or moderate. Few of us would say I'm aggressive, but I don't think that's how you're using the term risk, is it? No, you're you're actually you're 100 right. When you when you use the terms conservative, moderate, aggressive, it's amazing that everyone goes to the middle. And I think that's just a natural phenomenon. Whenever people are presented choices, they always go pretty much to the middle. Sure. But what is but what does that actually mean from a dollar standpoint or from a risk standpoint? There's there's ways to determine how much risk you're really willing to take. So when we talk to clients, one of the things. That, that fascinates me is sometimes we'll, people will tell us they, they want to be aggressive and there's no real way to, for them to define them. So we might put them in something that, that we would consider aggressive and then the market takes a dive and their account's down and they see, the, they see the, what they actually lost and they come back to us saying, what happened? Whoops. <laughs> That's not what I had in mind. I only want to see the upside. You mean there's downside to this thing? It becomes real when you actually see the dollar amount. So what we do to determine risk now is we use a questionnaire um, from a company called Riskalyze, and it helps us to determine from a dollar perspective, how much risk, risk are you willing to take? Let's when call, you say risk, you're talking about loss. Actual loss. How much loss are you willing to take? So let's say we're working with a portfolio of $100,000. And the question becomes, how much loss from a dollar perspective would you be willing to see or could you tolerate before you start to get nervous? Because what a lot of people do is they get they see their account go down and they get nervous and they pull, and then they get out of their investments and then their investments turn around. So they lose on both ends. They get they get whipsawed. They they lose on it going down and then they miss it when it goes back up. 
That's the worst thing someone could really do. And that's why most retail investors don't do as well in the markets because they second guess themselves. So what we, what we prefer to do is figure out how much risk we're willing to take from a dollar standpoint and then build a portfolio around that number and stick to our strategy. As long as we're staying within our risk targets, we, we want to stick with our strategy. If we're willing to see a 20% loss or a 20, 20% on $100,000 would be $20,000, if that's what our risk tolerance is, as long as we're within that risk tolerance or that dollar amount, we want to stick with our strategy because it will rebound at some point. Well, and let's talk about what, what did we see first quarter of 2020, nearly what, from February 19th through March 23rd, S&P off, uh, what, 35%? Unusual year, folks, in that it was off pretty dramatically. Uh, that's certainly bear market territory, that first quarter of 2019 to March 23rd. But we ended up the year, if I'm not mistaken, for the S&P up 16%. It was a remarkable year in many ways. But uh, what I really want to ask you, Daniel, is uh, you, so many people pay attention to the market. What kind of, uh, if, if you're looking at describing what kind of monetary loss you can accept, what was uh, in the cards? What, 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 what proof was in the pudding for that market's off 35%? What, what did investors do to be off less than 35% in, in the same time frame? Well, we can't talk about clients performance numbers I can't I can't I can't talk about that but but what we did do is we used active management and alternative strategies to reduce the volatility so so accounts because we're more diversified and we're actively managing the accounts accounts weren't down as much as the market that's ways to hedge against the volatility and that's the real question folks right now we're going to talk more about this from the standpoint of where do we go in terms of the market from here but if it is the case, for example, that that 34% loss a year ago was just the first step down, let's say followed by another 40% loss or make it simple, 46% loss. So now we're down 80%. When do you want to determine where you want to put the stops in the equation? I mean, if the, it, we, what do they say that the market takes the stairs up and the elevator down? So what floor do you want to get off of? Is it a floor closer to wherever you got on the elevator or is it the bottom of the ground where that elevator falls? That's the question. And, and it's really difficult to talk about this except on a personal basis because people have different answers. So there's, we don't, everything we do is 100% customized, but we always want them to evaluate in ways that they can recognize what they're really looking at. So notice what Daniel was saying about the dollar amount, not so much the percentage. We don't get percentages, but we get dollars. What do you mean my uh, $100,000 after NASDAQ was off 80% is now how much? $20,000? Really? That's all? Yeah. Or even, let me, let me paint the picture a little more clearly, $100,000 in the NASDAQ late 90s by the end of that decade was up about 400% on NASDAQ. And then lo and behold, here comes the, uh, that period of decline where we're off 80%. That's minus 320 from 400, which leaves us with $80,000. That's right. 100,000 went to 400,000. 400,000 had a minus of 320,000, leaving you in about 30 months uh, a whopping $80,000 on your $100,000 that was up to the high of $400,000. So these questions are really important for you to 
evaluate in advance as opposed to just try to pick up the pieces after every after the uh, you know everything is cracked and it's 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 totally ruined. So we got to take another quick break. We'll be right back. Please stay close. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. John Grace and Daniel Medina here on Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. Uh, glad you're, to have you back. And we were just having a conversation about uh, portfolio management and financial planning. So we covered the first half, that's portfolio management. Let's now deal with uh, financial planning. And, and this is the work that you like to do, Daniel. So describe what it is, that, that, that the distinction between those terms and, and what that means to you. So what it means to me is where to start is, how, I guess the simple way for me to put it is financial planning is how we get, or one of the ways we get to portfolio management. For us to tell you what we think is right for you, we have to actually know you. Without me knowing your situation, how much you're earning, how much you're saving, what your what your goals are, I have no right to, to, to be able to tell you which funds you should be invested in or which, what your allocation to stocks or bonds should be. I need to know you better. So from a, for financial planning, what that is for us is usually it's one of, it's three things come, come to mind. It's live, you're going to live too long and you're going to need to save money for, for retirement. You're going to die too soon. So you're someone's going to need to, you're going to need some insurance 
to support the people that you're supporting financially, wife or kids? And then how are you going to pass on the money to your heirs? Those are the three topics of financial planning that we typically cover for most people. Now, there's a lot more to, there's a lot more to financial planning, but those are the three topics that tend to come up the most with more people, with most people. So the first one, live too long, is, is essentially retirement planning. What's your, what's your goal to make work optional? Now, retirement is, tends to be kind of an ugly word for some people, so we like to use work optional. At what point do you want to be able to know that your money could take care of you so you could stop working and you could still be financially sound? It's a math problem. It's a good way to look at it. And, and that's how we try to do it, folks, is uh, tune into K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, sweetheart. <laughs> so what you, say more about that in terms of it's a math problem, Daniel. So it, it's a math problem. And what we're, what we're trying to do for where we're trying to start is to reproduce your current standard of living. If you're a married couple making $100,000 a year uh, combined, we want to make sure you have that standard of living throughout the rest of your life adjusted for inflation. So if it, sorry, John. No, well, you know, you're, you're adjusted for inflation and, and I just probably wanted to put, make sure what people will try to do is say, well, the kids will be gone, the house will be paid for. No, 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 no. Assume if it's 100, 200, whatever the number is, that's probably what you're used to spending. And whether or not the kids are wherever they are or the house is in whatever condition it is, that's just the level of spending. In the old days before Daniel was born, we used to, everybody would agree that they could get by on 80% of what they used to earn. But that was before they got to the age at which they stopped working. <laughs> so what we found in reality is, yeah, 20 years, it looked like 80% would be fine. Now I'm 20 years later, it's not enough. In fact, we have one couple, great people, great savers, really understand all this. The, the, the husband decided that he wanted to stop working and the wife had a very good job making a little over $100,000. And the kids are, for the most part, pretty much out of the house. And they thought that would be just fine. And then it turns out, and, and these folks are not old people, that uh, they, they saw themselves at Corner Bakery going, why are we using coupons? <laughs> this $100,000 is not enough. So he went back to work. But again, that was optional for him. But that's the point. What kind of income is, are you accustomed to? And what can we do to, make, to do the best work possible to replicate, to duplicate that same income after inflation and taxes so that your standard of living doesn't suffer at all? You're, you're so right, John. People, people want to overcomplicate that particular question the most. People's, people go into all these kinds of what ifs. My house is going to be paid off, so that's going to be gone. And that may be true. But what if you refinance at some point and you never get rid of your mortgage payment? It's, it's such, it's, it becomes such a tough question to answer 30 years from now or, or 20 years from now that it's not even worth having today because you're going to overcomplicate it and we're going to spend the whole time debating what your living <laughs> expenses are going to be in 30 years and we have no idea. So let's keep your expenses the same today and then adjust for inflation going forward. Really, it's a question you need to ask yourself or, you, or whoever you're working with every year because things are going to change on a, on a yearly basis. And when they do change, that's when you adjust. People get raises, cost of living goes up. It may go up more than inflation. So it's really, it's a moving target. So all we can really do is make an assumption today and then adjust for that, that assumption going forward. And then we change our assumption later. And some of our peers suggest that you pay the house off as soon as you possibly can. We're going to say that is your call. There is no uh, absolutely 100% correct answer. 
We see people whose, how, whose homes are paid for. We see people who continue to make payments on their homes. I, I don't know that there's a right answer. So it's a, it's a personal answer in terms of what makes sense to you. But as I say, if you're duplicating the same income, your lifestyle is not affected. Uh, as opposed to saying, well, you know, my expenses will go down, so my income needs should go down. And, and I think it also makes it a little easier if we're, say it's $100,000, and you're seeing that in, let's say, the first five years as withdrawals in retirement. But then you you move or you go to a cheaper area, and, and now you can buy on $80,000. Now you're really playing the game to your advantage, as opposed to spend, baby, spend, and keep the spending turned up. Turn it down and have the cash flow better than the higher than the than the expenses and and that always keeps a cushion for things to go awry the markets to go crazy unforeseen things to happen but you keep um you you keep your sanity because you can watch the markets go wherever they're going but you're not going there too you're you're 100% 100% right John the next thing for most people is um insurance planning. And then we'll move on to the next topic because we're running out of time. So the, the single most devastating thing that can happen to a family is, is a loss of one of the breadwinners. So if you're a married couple and you're each making 50,000 and God forbid your spouse passes away, that's aside from the, from the emotional loss, that's $50,000 in income that you're used to spending. That's now gone. Virtually, just like, just like that, virtually everyone we talk to is underinsured because they don't ask the right questions. And the right question is, how do I duplicate that income? Or how do I replace that income if, God forbid, my spouse is not here tomorrow? And that's an insurance question. That's, that's typically the best way to fund it. And we use term insurance because it's cheap. And it's typically, it's a temporary need. So the other question people like to, like to debate is, is, do we use term insurance or do we use whole life insurance? Well, from my perspective, perspective if you're doing everything else correctly, if you're saving what you're supposed to be saving and you're investing where you're supposed to be investing, then the insurance is only a temporary need. We're only trying to cover the next 20 or 30 years while, you, while you're still working. Because at some point, your investments and your savings will take over and that insurance need is just not, it's just not there anymore because you did everything else correctly. Sorry, we like to think of it as a bridge. Right now, you're trying to accumulate the assets to get to $1 million, $2 million, whatever it might be, but you don't have that, so you're not self-insured. So we need to have the insurance in place in the event that there's a loss of income over the next 20, maybe 30 years. But now your plan is in place so that in 20 or 30 years, now you have achieved the 2.5, the 1.2, whatever the number might be. And now the, the insurance becomes entirely optional as opposed to necessary, but you've covered both ends. It's like, like we like to put it, whether you live too long or die too soon, financially, we want it to be uneventful. <laughs> it's in boring. Yeah, uneventful. <laughs> Speaking of events. Let's look at, as we say, you know, we love the line, live by the, do- the sword, die by the sword. And we had uh, the immediate past president, Donald John Trump, always claim, look at the stock market. You know, he's just taking all the credit for it. So we're going to look at how he did with the stock market as compared to his predecessors. But let me just kind of paint the picture for you, because this, this to me is fascinating. On, on March 9th, 2009, the S&P closed at about 676. Today, we're at 3746. Now, just a few days before that, the former president, Barack Obama, in like the 3rd of March 2009, 
that was on a program with uh, David Brown from the UK. And his conversation was now maybe a good time to get in the stock market. Well, gosh darn it, 676 to 37.45, 46 as of right now. That's a remarkable ride. It's like straight to the moon. And, and, and understand that that was um, the, just the day before, the broader S&P was in negative territory, like uh, 700, 700, 700 points, okay? Uh, and stocks had hit like a 13-year low. So the best buying opportunity in our lifetimes really has been since March 9th, 2009 through today. Now let's look at the results and let's talk about how things might turn out because there are those we follow who, you know, don't just drink the Kool-Aid. They don't wear rose-colored glasses. They're like, let's get prepared because we want to know, we want to know that we're ready for what's next, the good, the bad, and the unforeseen. So looking at uh, Trump's record, the Dow Jones Industrial rose from 19827 to 30,930 as of uh, Tuesday, uh, just the what? Uh, just last week, and that's like a, a 56, well, that would be as of the, is it the 20th? Yeah, the 19th. So we'll take the 19th. Last, okay, two weeks ago. There's a 56% increase for his time in office. It's, it's, that's, a good, that's a good number. But when we look at uh, how the Dow did under President Obama's first term, it was 111%, it was, uh, it was 71%, and it was Clinton that was up 111% for his first term. So both uh, Obama and Clinton did significantly better than Trump. And what we see is that uh, a similar trend was true for the S&P 500, which gained in round number 68% under Trump, rising from 2263 to 37.99. That, gain, that was a gain of 84.5% uh, in Obama's year by comparison, and 79% in Clinton's first year. So we saw the, the exception in the past three decades has been former President George W. Bush, who actually saw the Dow fall 3.7% and the S&P fall 12.5% in his first four years of office. So the, 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 I'm sure that Donald Trump is probably not paying attention to this news because uh, it, it doesn't conform with what he wants you to believe. And yet, uh, you know, that's just the way it is. We, we've never seen numbers like we've seen. Uh, that's before the pandemic and, and after the pandemic. And, and where do we go from here? So how bad do you think it could get, Daniel? That's a, that's a tough one. I mean, if you, look, if you just look back at our recent history, and that's probably, that's last year and then 2008 crash, the market went down 50%. So that's, it's, that's not unrealistic at all. Cause, and then going back to 2000 and the tech boom, uh, bust in, in the early 2000, that was another 50%. So, I mean, that's, that's completely realistic. And if you're going back even further, then 80% is even possible. 80% is even possible. So there are those we follow who are suggesting, and, 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 when, and one of the things we've been saying is you might watch Bitcoin as a barometer, kind of like the canary in the coal mine in terms of how the overall market is doing, because that has been such a high flyer along with Tesla and a number of companies, right, that people are, are beginning high on, putting the money in today, 
watching it see a terrific increase and then playing again and again and again. And as long as we keep seeing these increases, then of course it seems like a, a very smart move. But it's when things turn upside down overnight that uh, people get uh, very depressed. And, and do the math for us, Matt, uh, Daniel, please, because oftentimes when we, see, when we say, well, if I'm off 50%, to get back to even, I need 50%, right? No, if you're off 50%, your account has to double to get back to even because you got to make back what you lost. That's huge. So, if I'm, so do the, do, say, give an example in terms of $100,000. Off fifty percent. So, now you're at fifty thousand. If you're you, if you start at if you're starting at a hundred thousand and your account's off fifty percent, so your hundred goes to fifty. Now that you're essentially now starting from the fifty, so you're to get back to a hundred, you have to make back the fifty that you lost on fifty. So you're making fifty on fifty. Your account has to double, or you have to make a hundred percent on your money to get back to your hundred to your hundred thousand. That's the real deal. That's the math you want to complete because we sometimes, as I say, take complicated uh, things and make it very simple answer. I'm off 50 or so I need 50. No, you're, you're just halfway there. You, you need 100. That's what you need, 100% of what you have to get back to where you were. And if you're off uh, uh, 80%, what, what kind of gains do you need? If you're off uh, 80%, you need to make uh, f- four, you need, to, you need your, your, your money to go up by five times because your 100,000 went to 20,000. So now your 20,000 has to go back to 100,000 or it's got to make 80,000 on your 20,000. So you need to go up by five times or you need to make 400% on your 20. We can't see the future either, but there are those who are suggesting that in short order this year, maybe as early as the first or second quarter, we could see the first drop 40%, the first loss would be at 40%. But as I say, that's the first one. Behind there could be another 40%, suggesting that if you look at the pattern, there may be one here where we saw a 20% loss in 2018, 35% loss in 2020. The next one may be a test of those lows. Notice the second loss was larger than the first loss. The third one could indeed be larger than the first two. So maybe off 40% and then another 40%, 80% loss is, is, is certainly something that might happen. The real question, of course, becomes, again, how can you limit your losses so that you can tell the story and that you can survive whatever might be a, a right around the corner? So we're going to leave it there. We're, we love doing this work. We hope you do, too. Please feel free to post your questions to call us, and we work uh, some of the answers and the questions we get into the material that we prepare for. Uh, We will be right back here next Wednesday. Hopefully it won't be another wild Wednesday, but that's okay. We'll weather whatever is uh, thrown at us. We'll be right back here from 12 to 1 on Voice America next Wednesday. Till then, stay safe and let the COVID just keep passing. Thank you for tuning to Fiscal Fitness. Please join John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have an excellent week.